Hi, thanks for joining us again. We are taking our Bibles and we're going to the book of Numbers chapter 9. Numbers chapter 9 in our study on the wilderness wanderings through the book of Numbers. But we're also, I'm going to encourage you to not only find Numbers chapter 9, but you may want to find a bookmark or a little piece of paper and go to Exodus chapter 12 as well and put a little mark there because we will be going back and forth uh, in the study between Numbers chapter 9 and Exodus chapter 12 as we, uh, as we do this study this, during this uh, time period. One of the movies that recently came out from Disney was a movie called Coco. Uh, and it came out, and honestly, its theology of the afterlife is horrendous. It's, it's not even close to biblical. But what was interesting to me about the movie as I was watching is, is how it talked about remembering those who had died, remembering those who had gone before you, and what happened in this story is this little boy, Miguel, he actually got to the point where he idolized an individual and he found out that this individual wasn't all that he had been uh, said to be, wasn't all he was cracked up to be. And one of these individuals who was more of a bum, Miguel, by the end, idolized this individual because of his integrity and who this man was. And all of that happened in Miguel's life because information could not be passed down to Miguel. Or it was chosen by his family. They didn't want to talk about it. And so Miguel learned stuff that wasn't true or that he was never able to be taught because it had been forgotten or not passed down. And in that story, you find this great reversal when all the information starts to starts to take place in his life. Well, when we come to the Bible... The Passover was intended for the same purpose, actually, to, to fix the issue that Miguel had. The Passover was given so that people would not forget, so that they would, be, um, they would remember the night that they had been delivered. It was to help their children so that their children in the future would remember how God had delivered them, the children of Israel, and how God had protected and guided and guarded them. And so... Even though in that story with Miguel, he had forgotten, he had had this skewed view of the past, it was able to be corrected by knowledge of what had what it really happened. You know, sometimes I think with the children of Israel, we can do the same thing. We can have this skewed view of who they are based on whether or not we just look at the highlights of their life or the, the lowlights of, of their life. You know, think about for the children of Israel. We're, we're about a year into their journey from when they left the Red Sea to where we're at in Numbers 9. Think about the last year for them. Think about the good times. I mean, look what they've seen. They've seen Pharaoh defeated by the hand of God. They saw God provide for the Israelites all these spoils of war, the Egyptians giving them gold and giving them livestock and saying, go, 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 and, and giving that all to them. We have God guiding them through a pillar of fire and a pillar in the, in the cloud, guiding and directing them. They've seen this. They've seen God deliver them from the Red Sea and through the Red Sea and, and crush Pharaoh's army. They've celebrated that. They have God physically uh, providing for them day in and day out, the manna and the water. And, and you can look, and I would look and say, man, it would be so easy to follow God in that situation. Look at all the things that Israel saw. And that would give us a little bit of a skewed view because it wasn't just the good things that happened. Remember, this year for Israel has been a rough year too. 
they had some pretty bad times. In fact, if you remember Exodus chapter 14, they get to the point where Pharaoh's army is now going to be coming against them. And as Pharaoh's army is coming against them, they're looking and saying, oh no, oh no, we're going to die. Moses, you brought us out here to die. And there's this fear because all of this is coming against them. Moses actually scolds them and says, don't be afraid. Stop being afraid because God is going to protect you. God has got your back. Then they get through the, into the wilderness and they don't have any water. And then the water they find is bitter and they begin to murmur and they complain. Then they complain a little bit more because they're hungry and you've brought us out here and we don't have anything to eat and you just want us to die. And there's this constant negativity and this constant complaining that they have. And then when God does provide, he says, hey, only take what you need for the day. But what do some people do? They begin to hoard it. They don't trust in God's provision on that daily basis. And it goes, it goes further when they say, when God tells them, hey, on the day before the Sabbath, I want you to collect double. Don't collect for the, you're going to have enough and it will keep and it will be okay. But yet there are some who don't do that. Follow God's word, and they get to the point where they even go out and break Sabbath and go out looking for for food for that day. You get to Exodus 17; they're not going to have water again. And it doesn't say they just murmured, but they chided, they fought, they were arguing, they were degrading to Moses and ultimately to the Lord. You can look at Israel through this time period. Yes, there were some really amazing things. But there are some really problem, big problems in their life. In fact, that big blot that comes down on Israel is found in Exodus 32. And in Exodus 32, we've already talked about it, but the golden calf. And I remind you that when you look at Exodus 32, the Israelites have already heard the Ten Commandments. They've already heard the law, and they've committed to obeying it. And yet God says to Moses in verse 8, sadly... They've turned so quickly against what I have commanded them. You have this blot, this stain that is there. And if you're Israel, you may start to look and say, wow, we've done some pretty bad things this year. We have not been content. We have not been right with God. And there, there could be some internal grief, some internal struggle. And we could look at Israel from that perspective and go, wow, what a bunch of just what, what's the matter with them why would they they see all the things that god's doing and look how look how they handle it but before we before we cast too many stones and are too hard on israel i was really challenged this week as i was going through this passage to think of the striking similarities of israel and where we're at sure we're not walking around in a wilderness but just in our current situation, with all the uncertainty, with all the turmoil, with all the chaos, with all the frustrations, you know, we face hardships, we face difficulties, and are we cowering in fear? Other than following God and trusting His providence, trusting in His sovereignty, and saying, God, you're in control, I'm going to be wise, but yet at the same time, I'm not going to cower in fear over whatever is here. I'm going to trust in you. We face hardships, we face pandemics, we face other struggles allowed by God into our lives, and yet do we murmur and complain and even chide with God? I can't believe this is happening. Doesn't God know? Doesn't God care? What are we? And we can find ourselves murmuring and complaining against the situation that God has allowed us to be in. Do we freak out because we don't even know if God really cares enough for us? Is he going to take care of us? Is he going to provide our daily needs? Is he going to keep us safe? And yet we get, all, we get all in a tizzy and we look at Israel and say, I can't believe they would do that. But have we found ourselves in the last months maybe, maybe living that way? We find ourselves erecting idols of the heart, 
maybe not, a, you don't have a golden calf sitting in your house, but the idols of the heart that the prophets talk about, where we're turning away from God and we're, we're fighting for, for other things. You know, even in Israel's case, they, they were fighting. They wanted to go back to the way it used to be in Israel. Remember, they're like, oh, if we could have the leeks and the gar- garlic and the onions. And when pot, we had, would sit down in a pot and there was meat in it and we'd be okay. We want to go back to that. Rather than, okay, this is where God has placed us. This is where God has us. And we're going to live in that. And we're going to, to be content in that and go forward in it. We find ourselves erecting idols, fighting. You know, I, I found myself at times very frustrated, fighting more for whether or not I'm going to get to go see a sports game of my kids because I can't go watch them rather than fighting for my kids to be able to come to church and making that a, a bigger priority. Where, what, is, what is the idol in my heart? And we have to look and say, before we get frustrated with Israel, we may have to turn and look at ourselves over the last. And I don't think I'm the only one, having had conversations with many different people that struggle with some of these things. And when we start looking at that, we start feeling it, maybe we start to feel guilt. And we start to wonder, does God want to have fellowship with me? Why would God want to fellowship in Israel? A number of commentators talk about that in Numbers 9, how gracious this was of God. Despite Israel over these months just, just pushing against him and chiding and disobeying and being frustrated with God, yet God graciously extends fellowship with them. He still wants that fellowship with God. And you may be in a situation now where you're wrestling through, does God really want fellowship with me? Absolutely. Does God want us to be fellowshipping with one another? Absolutely. He does. But we may look and say, well, the grief, the sin, the things I've been struggling with, I don't know that God really wants, and I can have that fellowship. We know that the Bible teaches if we repent, if we get right with God, that our fellowship is restored. Our relationship never changes if you're a believer. But our fellowship can be restored with God. And as we look at this passage, God is, God is desiring that fellowship with them. But he's saying, hey, to have, to have good fellowship, there are some things that have to take place. It has to be in a consistent basis based on what God has said. And Israel, they may have been feeling some of these exact same emotions for months. They've been unfaithful to God. And yet now you start to see there's a change. Because if you fast forward from the, the golden calf to where we're at in Numbers 9, as these months have passed you're going to see the tabernacle's been built. You're going to see that these offerings have been given in number seven. You're going to see that there's, there's this crazy two weeks. When you look at number seven, when the tabernacle is built on the first of this month, and then there's the offering given by the princes in number seven, which we've talked about, and then the rest of number seven for the next 12 days, you're going to have the offerings given by each tribe. So for th- from day one to day 13, you have the tabernacle finished and all these offerings. And then on the 14th day, they're going to be commanded to celebrate Passover. What a two weeks. What an exciting time in the nation for the worship, the opportunity to be with God and to fellowship with him. It was a joyous time, though it was a solemn celebration at Passover. It was an exciting and joyous time that occurred. So now we get to Numbers 9. And God is going to command and and invite them to observe Passover. What a gracious invitation by God to these people who have been forgiven. There's been a change. There's been something that has happened. Because do you remember, 
as we looked at the, uh, the, we've looked at the passages, there has been a theme over the course of these first eight chapters where you're going to see the people's response to God. Vastly different than those first seven instances that we just highlighted, where they disobeyed, where they chided against God, where they murmured, where they argued. We have seen a theme that says, God said, Moses did. God said, Aaron did. Moses said, the people did. There was a theme that has been occurring through these first eight chapters, and it's coming to this nice culmination in chapter nine, where the people are being obedient, and it has restored their fellowship with God. And now they're going to celebrate Passover, and they're going to have to do it in an obedient way. It's interesting, when we talk about obedience, with my kids, we always use the phrase um, that obedience is doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. And we use the little, we use the little uh, actions to do it. You know, it's doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. And when we look at this passage here in uh, Numbers chapter 9, we're going to see the children of Israel being obedient. They're going to do what they're told to do in regard to Passover. They're going to do it when, when they're told to do it. And they're going to do it with the right heart attitude. All three of those are going to be addressed in this passage. And so as we look at the Passover, notice in Numbers chapter 9, verse 1, it says, In the law, the Lord spake to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year that they should come out of the land of Egypt and let the children of Israel also keep the Passover at its appointed season. So God is inviting, and he's going to command them, these forgiven and consecrated believers, these individuals, to come to the Passover table. So what is the Passover? Let's answer a bunch of questions just quite quickly in a more survey fashion this morning or afternoon or evening uh, for this passage. When is Passover to be kept? What is Passover? How do we keep, how is it to be observed? Who should participate? Why have Passover? So let's answer a few of those from both Numbers chapter 9 and Exodus chapter 12 to give us an understanding of of this passage. So when is Passover to be kept? We see that there is an established or an appointed time. Verse 2 and verse 3 talk about the Passover at its appointed season. In its appointed season, verse 3, that's when they are to keep it. It's not just at any time. It's not when they choose. It is when God is established. God established the time of year. God established the time of day that the Passover was to be kept. And we see that in verse number 3, it's in the 14th day of this month. And if you go back to verse 1, you see that it's in the first month. It's talking about the month of Nisan. It is April, May, the middle of April, because they're on a lunar calendar, not a solar calendar. There's a whole nother, that would be a whole nother lesson in itself, trying to figure out all the calendars of the, the Jewish feasts and everything. You can study that on your own. But in the 14th day of the first month, that is when they were to keep the Passover. So what is the Passover? Initially, The Passover, back in Exodus, it's the night that God's wrath passed over the firstborn of the believers. And then the second Passover, which we have here in Numbers 9, from that point forward, the second Passover and beyond is a memorial of God's redemption or God's deliverance of his people. It's, he does not, the, God does not pass over every single Passover meal. That happened one time. Now we have the celebration. Now we have the feast that happen on a continual basis in the, in the Jewish religion. 
So how is this Passover to be observed? This is where I'd like you to go to Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, you're going to have the account of the children of Israel preparing for the first Passover. The ninth plague has occurred. The tenth plague is about to happen. But in order to uh, be protected, to be passed over, they had to go through this Passover ritual and they had to sacrifice this lamb. So, so look just quickly what it says in Exodus chapter 12 about the Passover. They were to select a lamb, a male lamb, one that was in its prime. Uh, you find that in verse number three. And not only were they supposed to select this male lamb, this lamb was to be perfect. It was supposed to be without flaw, defect. They were supposed to observe that without blemish. A male of the first year, verse 5. And you're going to take it out of the sheep. Now they were supposed to take it on the 10th day of that first month. Remember, the 14th day is when the Passover sacrifice is going to occur. So on the 10th day, from day 10 to day 14, they were going to have this lamb taken away from the herds and it was going to be kept with them. And as it's kept with them, they were going to be able to observe. They were going to be able to see that this lamb and confirm that the lamb was truly without blemish, that it was of the quality to be able to be a Passover lamb and it became and developed a personal attachment for the family. No longer would this lamb, I love this in verse number three, the, the Hebrew is pretty specific here. It says that uh, they were supposed to take every man a lamb, just a general lamb. But by the time you get to verse 5, after they've had it, your lamb. They're going to know this lamb. There's going to be a little bit of a connection. I could not imagine having to take my children's bunnies and having to take, take Luke and Mochi, that's their, that's their names, and take them after they've grown attached. Our whole family loves them, even though I, most of you know I'm not a pet guy. But we love those little bunnies. And if I had to take them now tonight and sacrifice them, that would be hard. And what it did is it definitely showed, and they understood the costliness of the sacrifice, the nature of sacrifice, because it was, there was an attachment to this lamb. As you go on in the passage, on that evening, the Passover lamb of Passover, their Passover lamb was going to be killed. It was going to be sacrificed. And during the first Passover, verse 13, You'll notice that um, down in verse 13, it talks about, and the blood shall be for you a token upon the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So they were to take the blood. They were to put it on the, the doorposts of their house where they were staying. And then that would be a visible sign of their faith in God. What's interesting about the, uh, I don't know if you, for those of you who may have watched The Prince of Egypt, uh, the video about it, when Steven Spielberg wrote that, he actually, this portion, he didn't want to put the word blood in. And so he put in the, uh, when you see the mark, I will pass over you. And the, the scholars, the religious scholars that they'd asked, even though they didn't get everything right, they, they told them, absolutely not. That is not specific enough. It is not just a mark. It is the blood. The blood was specific. The blood was important. And they actually changed it back to, to the blood rather than the mark because the blood of this animal was that covering. It was what, the, what caused the, the death angel to pass over. That innocent lamb, when they did that, became their substitute at that moment. We've talked about the substitution of the lamb, the substitutionary atonement of Christ. We've talked about that. The lamb actually embodied the holiday. This is an interesting point as I was reading some articles and some books by uh, friends of Israel. 
uh, a book called Feast of Israel. The lamb actually embodied the holiday. Without the holiday, without it, the holiday was meaningless. And they became synonymous. The Passover was known as the lamb. The lamb was the Passover. And it was extremely important. So without, with no lamb, there was no deliverance. You took the lamb out of this. You took the sacrifice out. There was no deliverance from the death angel. How beautiful, when you start putting all that together, that it is talking about your lamb. This is the lamb. This is the one that provides deliverance. That it's just amazing when John declares, behold the lamb of God, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the one who delivers. That is such a bold declaration by, God, or by John that this one, Jesus Christ, when he talks about it in the New Testament, is the one who is going to atone, to cover our sins because of his death. And it made it possible, the sacrifice, the Passover lamb, made it possible for God, God's wrath to pass over, God's judgment to pass over them. So how is it to be observed? There was a whole sacrificial uh, steps and importance that were supposed to take place. How is it to be observed? You continue in Exodus 12. It's going to talk about the different food that was required. In verse 8, it talks about that you're going to eat the lamb, but you're also going to um, you're gonna, how you're going to roast it. You're going to roast it with fire. You're not going to boil it. You're going to roast it. There's going to be unleavened bread or matzah, and there's going to be bitter herbs, and you're going to eat it. You're not going to eat it raw, nor with sodden with water, not boiled in water, but you're going to roast it, its head, its legs, the, and the King James with the pertinence or the entrails thereof. You're going to, all of it. And then you're going to let nothing of it remain until morning. And that which remains of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. So God gives them specific instructions on how they're supposed to deal with the food, what they were supposed to eat, and what they were supposed to do with leftovers. There were no doggy bags at Passover. Everything was, was going to be burned to the Lord. And so, you know, you look at that, and the modern-day Seder, and with all of its 2,000-plus years of tradition, it is different from what God has required here. So there is, there is a difference so when you look and say, wow, all those different things they had to do in the modern Seder, they did back then. That's, that's not true. They, they had some of the instances, and some of it has changed through the years. In fact, uh, most scholars, they write about, write about a couple hundred years before Christ is when the term Seder actually came in to being used. It has the idea of the word Seder means order. So what was their Passover order? They, they put it in a, a general format, a, a format that then became the tradition of the modern Passover Seder. So the Old Testament Seder, not exactly the same, or the Old Testament Passover, not the same as the Passover Seder that is practiced in modern, modern Judaism today. How was the Passover observed? Numbers 9 talks about that. And uh, we'll, we'll go back there, but we are going to come back to, to Exodus 12 here in a second. Numbers 9, it talks about the, the Passover was to be observed. It talks about the rites, the ceremonies, the ordinances. You see it in verse 3, where it talks about according to all the rites, according to the ceremonies thereof. Verse 13, it's going to talk about the ordinance of Passover they shall keep. So these were, these were there not only to dictate what was necessary, that you had to follow the way the sacrifice was done. You had to follow the way it was to be eaten and dealt with and, and uh, taken care of according to Exodus 12. But it also highlighted who could participate because you had to be clean. You had to be ceremonially, ritually right with God in order to participate in this. And so who could, who could participate in the Passover? Well, 
Exodus, Exodus gets a little bit tricky with us here, especially in our English version. Because when you start looking through Exodus chapter 12, it's going to clearly say in verse number 43 that it says, this is the law of the Passover here. It says, the, law, the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, this is the ordinance or the law of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof. Very clearly laid out. There shall be no stranger eaten thereof. But the problem we're going to have here is some of these English words are going to overlap. And it's going to seem a little inconsistent because later on we're going to see that it says the stranger that eats of them and keeps the Passover. So which one is it? So let's talk about the, one, the, the three individuals here that it says they may not eat of the Passover. And then we'll come back to the other one and help try and clarify the situation a little bit. Verse 43, it uses a Hebrew word called nakar. Now my, I'm going to show you these Hebrew words. It's not to say, hey, look how brilliant I am. I can say Hebrew words. It's so that you get the idea and understand there, there was very clear, clear direction by God. He says in verse 43, there shall no stranger or nakar, a foreigner, somebody who is, who is not normally here at all. They just happen to be in the area during the time of Passover. They cannot eat of it. Verse 45, it goes on. It says, but every man's servant that is bought, or that's 44, sorry, verse 45, a foreigner, and a hired servant shall not eat thereof. So now we have in the King James the term foreigner. The word is toshab. It has the idea of somebody, somebody who's just traveling through the land. They're just, they're just on their way. They're moving through. They happen to spend the night. And it's Passover night. Oh, great. There's a good holiday celebration. Can I take part? No, you may not. Because they were not right. And God says you cannot. And then the hired servant in that verse that talks about the one who's hired. The word is sakir. It has the idea of the hired help. It's pretty straightforward. That somebody who's there for a short time, maybe they come in for the planting or to help in the farming or the agriculture, but they're not living there. They live, you know, somewhere else and they're just there for a short time and then they're, they're going to go back. God clearly says these individuals may not take part in the Passover. Why couldn't they? Because these individuals had absolutely no ties, no allegiance, no belief, no dedication to Jehovah. They were just transient. They, they did not dedicate and were not ascribing to Jehovah worship. So God says they absolutely may not take place. Who else could participate? So, so not, no stranger could participate. You had to be dedicated to, to God. You had to be following after Judaism. You had to be following after Jehovah worship. You had to be a circumcised male. Now, anyone in their household but the head of the household and any other men in that household had to be circumcised. Verse 44 and 48 talk about it. Verse 44 says, but every man's servant that is bought for money. In other words, the ones he's caring for, the ones he's watching over that are in his house, they had to be circumcised in order to eat of the Passover. Verse 48 talks about the exact same thing, that the stranger that shall sojourn then, they're have to be circumcised. And you can see there's that verse, verse 48, where it's, wait, the stranger is going to eat now. We'll get back to that in a second. The, the, but it says in order to take part, they had to be uh, following Judaism. They had to be circumcised and they had to be willing to follow all of the regulations. They had to do what the Mosaic law was teaching. They had to be following after Jehovah worship. Why do the Passover? Why was this so important? As we already highlighted, but verse 42 of Exodus 12 says, in, It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. 
This is that night. Chapter 13, actually, in verse 3 says, Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out of Egypt. It is a, it is a day of remembrance. It is a day to solemnly observe what God did in bringing them out of Egypt. And it was used as a teaching moment. In, you're still in Exodus 12. Go back to verse 26 and 27. Great reminder. And Deuteronomy 6 is going to highlight it again. And even for us, when we're doing communion, though Passover, Passover does not equal communion. We've been through that a few weeks ago in one of our studies. But there's a really good truth here for us with teaching our kids. Verse 26 and 27, it says, And it shall come to pass when your children shall say, What mean ye by this service? That you shall be able to say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses, and then the people bowed and worshipped him. It's a great teaching time, just like communion should be. It should be a great time of remembrance, a great time of teaching for our, for our children. This is one of the, the things that God wanted Israel to remember. It was the most important, to remember their exodus from Egypt. To celebrate the Passover was to recall God's great work of salvation, his deliverance. And so it was a joyous celebration, though a solemn one. And you look, and it makes sense then that the Israelites were going to delight in keeping the duty of the Passover. So well, how do you get that idea that they delighted in the duty of the Passover? Look in verse number 5 of chapter 9. We're going to go back to Numbers chapter 9. Sorry. When we get to Numbers chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, God has said, you're going to keep this second Passover. And there's not the grumbling and complaining which we've seen in their history over the last year. But we're going to see individuals who are going to keep. You're going to see that word come up a number of times. Verse 2, let them keep. Verse 3, let them keep. Verse 4, or the end of verse 3, you shall keep it. Verse 4, keep the Passover. Verse 5, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day. And at the end of it, so did the children of Israel. They kept, they did their duty. They did not complain. They did not grumble. But they did what God had told them to do. They delighted in their duty. We need to delight in the duty of God. God's commands are not burdensome. They're not hard but rather when our love is rooted in God, our obedience becomes that fruit to him. We, we follow in that obedience to God. So when Israel was right with God, they desired to keep the Passover. In fact, there's a really interesting passage. You can just keep your hand there in Numbers chapter 9, or if you want to, you can go over to Second Chronicles chapter 30 for a moment. There's a really interesting passage that occurs here. Hezekiah, if you remember, Hezekiah is going to show, have reform. There's going to be the, the ref, uh, a revival that takes place in Israel's history. And Hezekiah, during this revival, he wanted to keep the Passover. But in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verses 1, it says that he wanted to keep the Passover unto the Lord our God of Israel. For the kings had taken counsel, verse 3, for they could not keep it, at this time, because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem. So he wanted to keep it, but they did not have the priests. They didn't have the people right with God, ready to, to ceremonially and ritually keep the Passover. So what does he decide to do? He says, let's do it on the second month instead of the first month. But we just talked about obedience is doing what you're told to do. They want to do the Passover when you're told to do it. So why does he say in verse number two, let's keep it on the 14th day, let's keep it the Passover in the second month. And then down in verse 15 of chapter 30, it says, 
Then they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month. And all the priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. What gave Hezekiah the right to change it to the second month? After all, we know that. The appointed time, we just saw in Numbers 9, verse uh, 1, 2, and 3, the appointed time was on the first month, the 14th day. In order to help us understand that Hezekiah was not wrong in doing this, let's go back to Numbers 9. In Numbers 9, there the children of Israel are keeping a dilemma, or keeping the Passover. But there is a dilemma that arises for some of the individuals. Notice what happens in verse number 6. Verse number 6, there were certain men who were defiled by a dead body of a man, and they could not keep the Passover on that day, and they came before Moses and Aaron before, before Moses and before Aaron on that day. And those men said to him, we are defiled by a dead body of a man, wherefore we are kept back. We've been talking about keeping. Now they're being kept back that they, that we may not offer an offering of the Lord in his appointed season among the children of Israel. They say, can we not do this? What do we do? We want to. They wanted to keep the Passover. That was their heart's desire. They could not keep it because they were ritually unclean. Remember Numbers 5, verse 2, that if you had uh, been near a body that had died, no fault of your own, even with the Levites, we had that again. What happens? They were put out of the camp because they were ritually ceremonially unclean. It was a protection for potential communicable disease. And so we saw that. Now these individuals are saying, We want to keep Passover, but we can't. Moses, what do we do? So Moses is going to listen to them. And what does Moses do? Look what he says, verse number seven, uh, verse number eight. Moses said unto them, stand still, and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. He says, wait, let me go ask God for an answer. Now, Moses, he's the mediator of God. He's the one, he could have easily made, he's made decisions, he's been making legislative decisions all along. But Moses chooses not to. Because Moses understands that this was not his place to change God's ways. This would have been a direct change to what God had said. So he does not take it upon himself. In fact, Moses learned this the hard way. Exodus chapter 4, Moses is coming back to get on his way to Egypt And on his way to Egypt, the Bible says that God sought to kill Moses. And Moses is in in an inn or a building sleeping or whatever happens, but it says that God is going to kill Moses. And what ends up happening is Zipporah, his wife, intercedes and circumcises Moses' son, and then that abates God's wrath upon Moses. Because Moses did not follow what God had wanted him to do. He didn't circumcise his son. And he's going to go be the deliverer of the children of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. The sign of their covenant was circumcision, and Moses didn't do that. So Moses learned a very real lesson that I don't change God's ways. I need to do. I need to follow what God says. So in this case, he seeks out God's wisdom. It's a really great leadership and parenting principle for us as we look at Moses. He listened to the dilemma. A child comes, a, a co-worker comes, a, they come and they listen. You listen to the, the struggle. You, you wait, you discern, you think about it. You just don't give an answer when they're halfway done. We need to hear, hear them out. We need to seek God's counsel. Even with our kids, seeking God's counsel together. Say, hey, let's go to the Bible and let's say, what does God's word have to say about this situation? 
We adjust when change is necessary. If it needs to change, then we change. We address that and we answer accordingly. We go and we come back and that's what Moses is going to do here. He's going to go to God. He's going to listen. He's going to get the answer and then he's going to come back to these individuals. It's important for us to listen and wait on the Lord. Moses did that. He didn't just jump the gun and say, oh, I, I know your heart. I know that, that you really want to. No, he says, this is what God's word says. He does. Their heart is right. They want to worship God. But he says, just because your heart is right, you're still ceremonially unclean. I can't give you the, just the free will to just go do that. He says, we're going to find out what God has to say on this matter. So then he, the dilemma now receives new directives in regard to Passover. He's going to be given these new directives that are going to take place. He's going to say, okay, for the heart that wants to, but can't. The heart that wants to celebrate Passover, but they cannot right now. What's going to happen? Look at what he's, they, you know the situation. They're unclean because of the dead body. So Moses is going to, verse 9, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, if any man of you or of your posterity, your family, be unclean by reason of a dead body or be in a journey afar off, yet you shall, he shall keep the Passover unto the Lord. The unclean, that actually came to have the idea, if you're unclean for any reason, you're not celebrating Passover, but you're unclean, what, what do you do? If you're on a journey, now in this case, right now, God is thinking ahead. He's giving them for when they get in the promised land. Somebody's in the land, they're on a journey, and they can't make it back home. When do they celebrate Passover? Can they? Or do they just miss it for that year, that moment of deep and wonderful fellowship with God? So what do they, what do, they do? This was God's perspective here for them for the future in the land. God says to them in his kind and gracious answer, he says, for those who are not clean at the moment, prepare. You're going to celebrate the Passover. I'm going to provide that for you. On the 14th day of the second month, verse 11, you shall keep it and eat it with the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. And they shall leave none of it unto the morning, nor break any bone of it. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. So God graciously says, I know your heart. You want to. You can't right now. Because that would defile, that would go against who I am and what I have required. But I am going to give you the opportunity to have that fellowship, that communion with me. So they're going to do it the same way. They're going to do it with the same food. They're going to have the same requirements. It's just going to be one month later. So Hezekiah, when they're looking and saying, we're unclean, we're not prepared, he's allowed to, according to the law, he doesn't break any laws. He doesn't take upon himself God, but rather he follows after the law of Moses as given to him by God. But what about the person? He says, okay, the first directive that was given there in those verses was for the person who can't keep it, but they really want to. But what about the heart that can keep the Passover, but doesn't? And you might look and go, well, that, why would that happen? But that heart exists. That heart exists today. Where they have the ability, but they don't do it. Verse 13. But the man that is clean and is not on a journey and forbears to keep the Passover, either they choose not to, they forget, they're just indifferent about it. God says for them, they are going to be cut off from among his people. Now, it could be with that idea of cut off. Some have said that it's a judicial decree 
for a death sentence. That the, the, the government, the Moses is to say, you are to be sentenced to death. Some have said that it's a putting out of camp. You're going to be cut off the, from the community. And in the wilderness, if you're cut off from the community completely, it's probably going to be a death sentence. Or somewhere, some will say that it's God's divine judgment at some time in the immediate or near future. Very similar to what is said by Paul in 1 Corinthians, where for this reason, when, they take the, when we take the Lord's Supper uh, flippantly and without thought, that we do it and we bring damnation and destruction and even sleep or death upon ourselves. That it may not be immediate, but God's judgment may come down the road. We don't know exactly which one, but honestly, I don't know about you, but I don't want any of those three decreed upon my life. Not at all. So what about this individual? What else does it say? It says that that man shall bear his sin, that he will be taken out from under the protection of God and his community. It's not a happy place to be in, and yet there were going to be individuals who were going to choose that. They were going to take that heart that says, I can, but I really don't want to. I choose not to. A disregard for God's ways brings about danger, damnation, and even death. And yet, do we find ourselves disregarding God's ways? What God has commanded, what God has said, do we just sort of put it to the side? Eh, not a big deal. We ought to be following God's ways. We look at those two heart conditions, we see that. We see it even now. We see a present in our in the in Christianity in America right now. There are those I mean, even in even in going to church, there are some who they really want to, but they can't. They know they can't. It would not be wise for them to come to a large gathering and to potentially, because of their health or because of their age, get to that point. But I also see that there's the heart right now in many Christians in America that they could come, but they choose not to. They, they, they just, eh, it's no big deal. I can worship God, however. It's not a problem. And yet, God looks and says, if you can, you should. We need, we need to be fellowshipping. We need that fellowship with God. We need that fellowship with believers and looking. But there's a third heart that's mentioned right at the very end. It's a heart that wants to participate, but some may say they cannot. Look in verse 14. We're going to come back to that interesting uh, word here. And if a stranger shall, sh- sh- uh, wow, stranger shall sojourn, try to say that three times fast. Stranger shall sojourn among you and will keep the Passover unto the Lord according to the ordinance of the Passover and according to the manner thereof, so shall he do. This person could easily be, well, no, you're not Jewish. You can't participate in the Passover. You're not like us, so you can't participate in. But God is going to graciously give the ability for this individual to participate. In order for us to understand that, let's go a little bit further with those, those words, the stranger, the foreigner, the, the, all those. This word stranger here in uh, verse 14, and it also shows up again in Exodus. It is the word gear. It's a different word than any of the other words that we've talked about. It has the idea of an alien. Somebody who has taken up residence there, they are always there, but they're not originally from there. So they're, they're present. They're living with the Jews. In fact, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, it talks about that there was a mixed multitude that went out with 
the people of Israel. This, the alien here is someone who's taken up this residence with the people. They've adopted their culture. They're beginning to adopt their ways, but their blood is not that of those people. And so they're, they're living in the midst of the Jews. Uh, yeah, 1238, this mixed multitude. They were not, the, the Jews were not the only ones who got out of Dodge when, when the Red Sea happened. The Bible says that there were other people, other nationalities, other, other races, that, uh, tribes that got out as well. Maybe some Egyptians, maybe some other slaves, but they left as well. And so now they're wandering around with, with the Jews, and are they allowed to participate in Passover? God says for these individuals, the gear, they're not Jewish, they have no tribe affiliation, and yet they are there with them. Were they allowed to? God says absolutely they were. The, these words that are here, verse 12, verse, Exodus 12, 43, we have that word nakar, no stranger. But then when you get to verse 48, the word is not nakar for stranger, the word is gear. The word in 914 is the word gear. So these individuals were allowed to pa- uh, celebrate in the Passover. If they wanted to celebrate the Passover, what did these individuals have to do? They had to be, the men had to be circumcised and all the men in their household. It was a must. It was that sign of entering into that covenant community with God. It was a dedication to Jehovah and that you were following after him. And they had to follow all of the same rituals. They couldn't do their own and say, oh, this is sort of like a Passover. This is just our, you know, our form of it. No, they had to follow the rituals that God had established. He, look what he says at the end of chapter, uh, or at the end of verse 14 in chapter 9. It says that so you shall, he shall do, you shall have one ordinance both for the stranger, for the gear, for the alien, and one for the one that was born in the land. What a, what a great truth that God lays out. He says, we're not going to have multiple laws for different people. We have one law for the people in our land. What a novel concept. But I'm not going to get going on that because I can get on a big political tangent. But God says for the Jews, he says for the alien, for the natural born Jew, one law for the Passover. They must follow all of the ordinances, all of the rites, all of the ceremony in order to participate in the ceremony. It really highlights to me that God is a missions-minded, gospel-dedicated God. He wasn't just, yes, he delivered the Jewish people, his people, out of Egypt. But he doesn't look at the others and say, I don't care about you. He says, no, I want you to celebrate. I want you to enjoy my goodness, my provisions, my graciousness to you. I want you to be following me. The God through the Old Testament and the New Testament. New Testament missions is not just a New Testament concept. God was constantly telling the people to be a light to the others, to the to the Gentiles, to bring them in. But they had to follow God's plan, God's ways. So our missions-minded God is gospel dedicated. He invites the stranger, but the stranger must submit to his ways. He invites all to experience the forgiveness of the blood of the great Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. As we fast forward to the New Testament, when we look at that Passover lamb, God invites anyone 
to experience the forgiveness of sins, to experience salvation, deliverance through Jesus Christ. But in order to experience that, it's not by our ways. It's not by our methods. It's not by our religiousness. It's not by our works. It's not by our money. It's not by how good and nice and uh, how well we dress. It's none of that. It's not by good works so that I can't boast. It is by the beautiful, wonderful grace of God that I am saved, that many of you listening are saved. And if you are not saved, it is only through God's grace that you can be saved. To experience his forgiveness, the forgiveness of our sins, we must accept that there is no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb. Just like those individuals could not participate unless they submitted to God's ways, we too cannot experience the forgiveness of sins, cannot experience salvation, and have that relationship with God except we submit to the plan, to the way of God. And that is only through Jesus Christ. You know, this week, we're going to remember, hopefully you will, you'll remember that on Friday, it's 9-11. And one of the slogans that came out of 9-11 was, we'll never forget. We're not going to forget. We'll, we'll remember this. We'll, and how we came together and we were unified as a nation. And we won't forget And yet, here we are 19 years later, less than a generation away, and the unity, the remembrance of what has happened. We don't even have to go outside of our country to have people attack our country and our cities anymore. It just happens from inside the country. It's a sad state. And we pray for the reconciliation, but we know that that reconciliation starts in the heart of people. But we've we've at times forgotten Maybe because we don't rehearse. Maybe because we don't remind of what truly our nation is about. But more than 9-11, Passover was this beautiful picture of something far greater than a unity of a nation. It was about the shed blood of that lamb. And the individuals were to remember. And as we look And we remind ourselves as we look back to Christ, as we look back to the Passover, and we're reminded of God's deliverance, we should be responding through dedicated obedience. This whole passage, they did, they followed, they sought God's wisdom. They wanted to do what God wanted to do. Why? Because they were remembering what God had done. Folks, as we go through this week, let's remember God's deliverance and let's respond with dedicated obedience because God desires obedience. God desires our fellowship and we need to be right with God. If you need to confess your sins, repent of them. Ask God to forgive you. If you need to get saved, you're not sure about how to do that, give us a call at the church. Send us an email on YouTube or or through our website. And just contact. We would love to show you how you can experience the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. But let's respond then by living righteously. By responding to him through dedicated obedience to do what we're told to do. When we're told to do it with the right heart attitude. God, I pray that you would help us to not forget your love, your grace, your deliverance from our sins. Thank you. 
God, thank you for your sacrifice of your son. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.